when life doesn't go the way that you think it should go and something is taken from you that you are convinced that you need to have, he is still faithful. And when things are going really well in your life and you're crushing it and succeeding, he is still faithful. And even when you don't have a breath left, all you can do is get up and move forward, still faithful. That's been my experience of the God that we call Jesus, the one that we surrender ourselves to. He is faithful. So receive that this morning. We've been in a series moving through the Beatitudes this summer. So welcome to the Church of the Beatitudes. We are fully saturating ourselves in the teachings of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to spend our, the remainder of our time working kind of through the last four Beatitudes. But I want to remind you of something that we had talked about weeks ago, and I think this is important because it gives us a picture of what Jesus was up against. What we see in the teachings of Jesus is he's doing a lot of deconstructing. He's tearing things down, and then he's reconstructing. He's giving people a new way to look at how to connect with the heart of the Father, and deeply embedded in people's psyche is a particular way of seeing God, of viewing God, experiencing God. And a couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned a, a prominent Jewish teacher who was around probably 100, 150 years prior to Jesus moving and roaming on the earth and teaching. And this Jewish teacher uh, goes by the name of Jesus ben Sirah. And Jesus ben Sirah was a well-respected Jewish teacher and he had eight blessings that he gave to the people. And these eight blessings were announcements stating, if you want to know where you stand with God, if you want to know whether you have favor or you're with God and God is with you, here's eight ways that you can determine that to be the case. And I want to read them to you again. Here's, here's what he says are the eight blessings. Blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Blessed is the one who speaks to an attentive listener. Greatest is the one who finds wisdom, and none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Now, hearing those up on the surface, it would appear that you probably could find several of these in the Bible. If you looked into the Old Testament, into some of the older writings, these things would be there. To not sin with your tongue, we can say that's probably in the scripture somewhere. Rejoicing in your kids, searching for wisdom, all of these things that we would say, well, that sounds like it's coming from the scriptures. But what happens when you take these eight blessings and you hold them up as the ideal. You hold these up as the measure of how somebody experiences favor with God. What happens when an entire community of people decide that this is how you determine whether God is blessing you or not? For example, you're blessed when somebody thinks you're so important that they take the time to listen to what you have to say. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? This is deeply embedded into the psyche of the people that Jesus is moving throughout the earth talking 
too. And it seems to me that when Jesus lays out his eight blessings, they are direct opposites of many of the blessings that we just heard from Jesus ben Sirah. According to Jesus ben Sirah, the way that we experience blessing is if no one is an inferior to you, if you're at the top, if you're winning, if you're succeeding in life, then you are blessed by God, and we should be emulating those kinds of people. But then we look at Jesus, and he's talking to ordinary people. He's talking to unimportant people. He's talking to the kinds of people that are like, nobody is going to these people for wise counsel. Nobody is stopping to take the time to listen to this group of people. And if we think about the kinds of people that Jesus actually called to come follow him, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's fishermen, sick people, people who are disinherited, don't have land, don't have property. These are the kinds of people that seem to deeply resonate with Jesus, and they're drawn to Jesus. But a hundred years prior to Jesus, this message is circulating among the people, and then here comes Jesus deconstructing, reconstructing, taking things apart. And when you heard the announcements of Jesus, and he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, the immediate reaction might be to that, oh, that can't be true. There's no way that God is for those who are poor in spirit or the meek or those who mourn or those who are perceived as weak. That can't be the kind of person that God is with and extends his favor to because we believe that God, when God places on you a favor or blessing, then people want to listen to you. People want to follow you. No one is to be inferior to you. I mean, you think about Blessed is the one who does not have to serve an inferior. It doesn't take much to know that Roman culture is a cutthroat kind of culture. Lots of shame, lots of blame, lots of honor, and where you're located in the social system and in the social status, you're blessed if you never have to serve someone who is below you. And this is coming from a respected teacher, so this is the way that we know God is with somebody Blessed is the one who wins in life, the one who always gets the promotion, who is excelling to the top. This is how you know that God is with you. If you're admired, you have status. If people are taking the time to respect you, you're blessed. That's the world that Jesus lives in. And I want you to see these announcements that Jesus gives us because these announcements or these surprises seem to deconstruct a lot of what's swirling around. I want to read to you uh, from a man named Stanley Haworos, and he says it better than I ever could say it, and I want you to hear what he says about the Beatitudes. Too often, these characteristics of the blessings have in Christian history been turned into ideals or virtues that you must strive to attain. When we do that, we turn them into formulas to help us gain status and favor with God, which is precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say, right? Rather, they are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus had in fact first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all of the time or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. Listen again to the eight blessings. And this time I just want you to listen and I'm gonna read to you a different translation from a pastor and I want you to hear them with a little bit of a different spin to bring it into our 
context. These are the eight blessings that Jesus announces to the kinds of people that are most going to resonate and dig what he's up to in the world. Listen to what he says. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve, for they create space to encounter comfort from one another. Blessed are the gentle and the trusting who are not grasping and clutching, for God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who give mercy, for they will get it back when they need it most. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul, for they will perceive God when and others don't. Blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. Blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons, for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, begins our descent now through the rest of the Beatitudes. The merciful, for they will be shown mercy, or we could say it like this, blessed are those who give mercy, for it will be given back when they need it the most. Now, according to Jesus' brother, James, he states in his book, James chapter 2, verse 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Every day, when we move out into the world, I believe that there are two questions that at a subconscious level, all of us are being asked and invited to step into. And maybe some of us are aware of these questions, maybe not. But here's the two questions. Are you ready? Number one, will I choose to judge another person? Or will I choose to extend mercy to another person? Is it going to be judgment or is it going to be mercy? And I think those two things are always before us. Now, I understand that we have to make judgment calls all the time. All the time we have to make judgment calls. But let's be honest, we're not always super crystal clear when is the right time to do that, are we? There's always kind of this murky area that we live in. The question is, is like, what is your default mode? What do you find yourself going to rather quickly? Judgment or mercy? If I'm gonna make a mistake, and I make many per day, but I'm gonna make a mistake, I'm gonna err on the side of mercy because of what this beatitude says. Because I imagine myself standing before Jesus someday, standing before Christ, giving an account of my life, all the things that God has given me, the gifts that God has given me, and I imagine myself standing before Jesus, and I hear Jesus say, John Woolner, you had the default mode of being too harsh and judging and condemning others. And I imagine myself standing there, hearing that, and then the words of the beatitude begin to ring in my head. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, or they will be given mercy when it is most needed, like in that moment. Or will I hear, John Woolner, you went overboard on extending mercy. You were too merciful. And sometimes you got it wrong, but you always erred on the side of mercy. 
And I'm thinking, okay, so what's coming my way? And I can hear the words of Jesus, blessed are the merciful for they will be given mercy when it is most needed. In that moment, I would need mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful for they will be given mercy. He goes on to say, the next one, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are those who have a clean window into their soul for they will see God when and where others don't. One of the attributes of God is that God is invisible and that God exists in what is called incarnation and he is most supremely seen and manifest supremely in Jesus Christ. But one of the other ways that we see God and experience God is in this weird creation called people. Many times, God shows up and he ends up looking a lot like you. Hasn't that been your experience? It's always like I experience God through relationship. I experience God through people. I experience God through the most unassuming people in the most unexpected ways many times, regardless of their background or where they're coming from or what they might affiliate with. Many times God surprises me and he shows up in the most unexpected places and the most unexpected people. But am I paying attention to those gifts? Is my heart pure, so pure that I want to see God at work in every human heart and not just in the hearts that I can see? Blessed are you when you see God at work in each and every person that you encounter. But here's what we wrestle with so often. Our true vocation as human beings is to be image bearers of God. That's your vocation. You are an image bearer, a witness to God's image in the world. On the other hand, we have these people in our world who are called cynics, critics, caustic types, fault finders, right? These are people who always consider herself or himself to be very insightful. Some of you know at this point I'm talking about you and that's why you're squirming a little bit on the inside. And they're peppered throughout every community that I've ever been a part of. I was reflecting back on how many different church communities I've been a part of in my 52 years of life. I've been a part of 11 different communities. And every one of them had these type of people in it. And you're actually looking at one of them right now. There have been times when I've participated in fault finding, judgment, condemning others, not seeing God at work in the person across from me. And I've participated in those things because I consider myself to be very insightful and I clearly see what needs to be seen and one of the main characteristics that I have experienced and I have seen in fault finders is that they consider themselves to be very insightful. They have a keen insight and they see all of the wrong things that others are doing that others may not see. And the church community itself, they are very quick to judge leadership. This happens over and over again. You know what Jesus called those of us who participate in fault finding? He called us Pharisees. That's who we are when we participate in those areas. But here's the deal. What I hear Jesus saying in this the beatitude is what they do is they mistake insight as blindness. And it's actually the other way around. They're blind. They don't 
see and recognize that God is at work in imperfect people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will perceive God at work in imperfect people, imperfect churches, imperfect leaders. They will recognize God at work in everyone that they see, and they will call out what God is doing in every person's life. That's what they'll recognize. They're not so quick to find fault in another image bearer. They're quick to see what God is up to in that person's life. So blessed is the one who's actually able to see what God is up to in another person's life and then actually call that out in that person's life. Evergreen is the 11th community that I've been a part of in my journey. And I gotta tell you, this place is a bit of a mess in some ways. Surprise, not a perfect community. And what we tend to do is we do tend to walk around and find fault in each other's. And, and we kind of proclaim that I have keen insight into the brokenness of other people. But I gotta tell you, my friends, fault finding quenches, quenches a community faster than just about anything I've seen in all my experience. So I'm gonna ask us, politely, knock it off. Recognize what God is doing in the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what is God doing in this person's life? How is God working in Lynn's life? I want to see what Jesus is doing in you, Lynn. I don't want to see all the negative stuff. I want to see what God is doing in your life. We have Pete for that, right? But what is God doing in your life? How is he and what is he calling up in you? at this season of your life. And I want to be a person in this community who's calling that up out of people like you and Wally and even Kevin Scheid. I want to see what God is doing in Kevin. I want to see how God is stirring something in you because fault finders are always finding what people are not. And I want you to hear this, friends. What you aren't isn't interesting to me. It's boring. What you are who you're becoming, what God is doing in you, I find that to be absolutely fascinating because that's really what's going on inside of the human heart. The pure heart always sees God at work because, friends, God is always at work. He never stops working. That's the nature of God. Even in the hardest of hearts, even in those that we think they're so far away from God, God is working on them. God is working. Can you see that? Can you recognize that? And can we begin to call that out in one another so that this community can flourish? There's this woman, some of you know her, Dr. Edie Phillips, right? God bless this woman. She um, apparently has a key to this facility. I think everybody has a key to this place, by the way. I'm learning. <laughs> but she walks in, and I kind of see her from my office, and every time Edie comes in, I'm like, oh, boy, Edie's here. And Edie has served this community for a long time, has helped many of you through pain, has seen the best. But she met Holly Postma in the, uh, like the lobby out here, and I watched the two of them, and it struck me what she said to you, Holly. She looked at you and she says, oh, Holly, I am so delighted to see you. And I could feel like Holly's amygdala start to light up, right? <laughs> something was going on in your brain, because when someone delights in you and they actually mean it, it does something to you. There's something that comes alive in us when someone says, oh, I'm just delighted to see you. And then I know that Edie was in Holly's life when she needed somebody to help her see God at work because you've been through some things. 
And to see God at work and to call that out. And then for her to say, oh, Holly, I'm delighted to see you. What a gift. And I believed her. I believed what she said. It seemed like it was true. <laughs> and I asked her about it. I said, I love that you said that to Holly, that you delight in her. And what would that do if all of us saw each other with delight? I'd be like, I can't wait to get back to that place. I like being there. People delight in me. People delight in what God is doing in my life and they call it out and they don't think I'm over or that it's just a mess or a complete catastrophe. They see God at work. Blessed are the pure in heart to, who quickly identify that God is at work in every human life, every image bearer, and they are quick to call that out and say, this is what I see God doing in you and I delight in it. Pure joy, pure and good joy. One of my greatest fears is that I would lose my compassion and my ability to see God at work in people's lives. I don't ever want to lose that. I don't want fault-finding, judgment, condemnation, criticism of others to be the winning day in my heart. I don't want that in me. I want to see what God is doing in people's lives and call it out. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will always see God at work. And how about this one? For a little controversy. Blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. I'm like, yeah. The family business. We are told to bless peacemakers, whoever they are, wherever they are. When we identify and we see a peacemaker, we are told quickly, bless that person. You're a son of God. You are a daughter of God and I bless you. I'm not there to determine the outcome of their life. I'm simply there called to bless them when I see them at the work of peacemaking. And friends, I gotta say, if you read particular parts of the Bible that prevent you from being a peacemaker, I would say, I think you're misinterpreting the scriptures. And in particular, Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book about discipleship. And at some point, we'll get into the book of Revelation. At some point, maybe in year five. I don't know yet. But we'll get there at some point. But if, if anything, your interpretation of scripture keeps you from being a peacemaker, I would suggest to you take a harder look into those sacred texts, declaring that peacemakers are sons and daughters of God. Listen, the grace of God travels without a passport. Shows up in the most surprising places. The grace of God shows up. Uh, the grace of God travels without a passport. You want me to say it again, Char? <laughs> and wherever people are at, and if they're peacemaking, I just simply say, you are a son and a daughter of Jesus. Bless you. All the rest will have to be sorted out by someone who is in charge, and that is not me, and that is not you. A continuation of peacemakers. This is blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons. For the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. If you are serious about peacemaking, you will be persecuted. Jesus said, 
those who are working for peace in a war-torn world, a world where relationships are in conflict, where church communities are splitting over all kinds of conflict, where we can't agree on political divisions and hostile political environments, those who are stepping in as bridge builders, those are sons and daughters of God. And remember this, friends, and I want you to hear this. If you are working towards peacemaking, expect to be persecuted. And I did not say be a peacekeeper. Peacemakers. Peacekeepers are people pleasers in many cases. Be a peacemaker. Step in to the center of the conflict and bring peace. And as you work towards that kind of peace, you will experience persecution. And here's one of the reasons why I think that is the case. Because the way that we make peace is to get rid of this narrative. It's us versus them. And we've got to mend the divide. There is no us versus them. There's only us. Hear that. In God's perspective, there's no them, only us. People are emotionally and deeply invested in the us versus them divide. They are so emotionally charged. And the moment you challenge that framework and viewing the world, unless they come along with you and perceive something new from God, they will simply see you as a traitor. And I'm telling you this because I have experienced this because I am a peacemaker. And as a peacemaker, I have experienced great persecution. Perceived as a traitor, pushed out of certain uh, relationships. The more you use this framework, they will cut you off, my friends. And the reason why I believe that's the case is because you've risen up with Christ. You've risen up with Jesus, the great peacemaker. And they may see that as a betrayal to their cause, and you will be persecuted. And that is something that I have experienced, and I have been praying constantly for this community. Ever since we stepped into this journey and moving through the Beatitudes, one of my practices is to come into this room in the morning and pray the Beatitudes over this church. I want to be a Beatitude-shaped community. I want to be a Beatitude-shaped person. And all I know to do sometimes is just to say what Jesus said. Because the rest is just commentary. It's just me and chit-chat. What did Jesus say? Who are the blessed ones? How did he announce it? And then to declare it over this community, to declare it over Mercer Island, to declare it over every human person that we come into contact with, and to begin to allow ourselves to be shaped and formed by the way of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to listen for a moment. And what I'd like to do before we come to the table to partake of communion is I'm going to read each beatitude one more time. And after I read the eight announcements, I want you to sit for a moment in silence and just allow that beatitude to pour over you. So here we go. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Jesus was walking towards his execution, I was reflecting on his death and his resurrection, but in particular, his pathway of descent moving down. And as he's walking towards his execution, I think he began to embody all of these eight announcements. We see Jesus poor in spirit, broken, looking for another way, but the father goes silent on him, and so he can't find another pathway, and so he moves towards the way of death. We see a man who's mourning, who can't escape the sorrow. In fact, he was described as a man of sorrow. And so Jesus embodies the sorrow. He makes space within himself to grieve and mourn. We see a meek and gentle man who on the cross is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yet he had the power to overturn it. And yet in meekness and gentleness and this focused control, Jesus stays the course. And then on the cross, what do we see Jesus say? I thirst. Embodying the Beatitudes, this Beatitude-shaped Savior, and then we see mercy extending that he still sees God at work even in those who have betrayed him. He's pure in heart, clearly, always seeing God and always seeing the best in people, and he is the ultimate peacemaker, not the war creator, but a peacemaker, persecuted, for bringing peace, not harm. So I invite you to take the elements out and we'll partake of the way of Jesus together. And when we take the body of Christ given to us as a gift without any expectation of anything in return, this is the Eucharist, God's good gift of grace given to us without any strings attached to it. Simply 
given to us. This beatitude-shaped Savior who invites us into his way. So let's partake of the body of Christ together. The cup who Jesus experienced thirst on the cross, hunger, wanting to see the world made right, made the ultimate sacrifice by extending himself fully and completely, saying, I offer up my blood as a sacrifice to you to cleanse you and invite you into my way in the world that God is always at work in you. And so we partake of the gift of God's generosity given to us. Jesus, we declare your goodness over us. Thankful that you are at work always in every human heart in this room. That you meet us in sorrow, you meet us in joy. Help us to be a beatitude-shaped people, a beatitude-shaped church here on Mercer Island. That people would be drawn to your goodness because of what they see in this place. People delighting in one another and delighting in you. Thank you, Jesus.